Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Something amazing happened to me today. Oh, I'm glad. It's only happened twice to me in my life. Uh-huh. The first time I can't even remember. But this time, I'm out walking Ripley. I've left my house maybe a half an hour before, and nothing seemed unusual when I left. But when I returned... There was a leather wallet on the sidewalk in front of my door. In front of your door? Right in front. Like, unmissable. Like, on the sidewalk or on the step? Because you've got a little step up to the... On the sidewalk. There's like a gate Yeah. with a little step, right? Yeah. This was on the sidewalk, in the public area, not on my property. Let me guess. You bent over to pick it up, and it moved down... The sidewalk a little bit, and it was Mr. Burns dragging it on a piece of fishing line out the back of a car. I called multiple pizza places in my neighborhood, and no one had lost a wallet in any of them, and so I kept it. <laughs> now, that's not what happened at all. I, I picked up the wallet, and what was so weird is like how it was arranged. It was as if it was trying to get attention. Like The credit cards inside were kind of folded out of their slots, like fanned out. Whoa. In a, hey, check this out kind of way. <laughs> and a couple of the credit cards were kind of flashy looking, like not single color credit union style credit cards. These were like good credit cards that, <laughs> that like one of them was kind of clear looking. I'd never seen a credit card like this uh, before. I've always felt that ACAB, all credit cards are bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is why your credit is so bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... I go rooting around in this wallet and I'm like standing in front of my house with Ripley. She wants to go inside. I'm out there. I'm I'm looking in this wallet. You're already getting complaints. Uh, I'm, I know. I'm looking at the greatest gen subreddit. People I already, are already did it wrong, right? Horrified at the, the violation of privacy that you've committed. I did it wrong, obviously. <laughs> I'm looking through this thing and it's oops all credit cards. There's like nine credit cards in this wallet no cash wow was it wait was this kevin smith's wallet <laughs> from when he made clerks and put the entire budget of the film on credit cards i wish this guy was chaotic in how he organized his wallet i'm very much a id on the very outside slot like that's the thing that's going to be most necessary most of the time i mean and this guy's id was buried under all nine credit cards. I was like, all I'm going to get is credit cards. I'm never going to be able to find this guy. Finally get to the ID. Look at this guy. Look at the cards. It matches up. It's a match. So I go inside <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so fucking stupid. I go inside and I start Googling this guy's name. I'm uh -huh. like, I'm never going to find him. Right. Until I'm like, I got this guy's ID. I should check his address. <laughs> I think of that second because I'm thinking there's no fucking way this guy lives anywhere near me. It's right. just too weird. Right. But he does. He lives two <laughs> doors down. <laughs> this is a great way to meet your neighbor. You're doing him a favor. So I take Ripley inside and I walk back out with the wallet and I go down the street and I knock on this person's door and uh-oh. Someone who is not this person answers the door. 
And I'm like, hey, are you name on credit card? And and she's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm looking for name on credit card. And she's like, well, he's not here. And already I know I've started off on the wrong foot. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, look, I have good news. I have his wallet. And she looks at me like, that is not good news because I'm a stranger that has her husband's wallet. <laughs> and I walk it back. I'm like, look, I just found this wallet out in front of my house. I live across the street over there. And I, I point and I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure that this gets back to him. But I clearly had reservations about giving it to her because I wanted it to give back to him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's cool. He's my husband. You can give it to me. I was like, okay. And here's where the Reddit just torches me, right? I shouldn't have given it to her. <laughs> you have no idea what the status of their marriage was. <laughs> right, exactly. They could be estranged. <laughs> so I gave it to her and she thanked me effusively. She was so grateful. In a, in Did a she way, thank you by giving you one of the credit cards and saying like, get yourself something nice? <laughs> I did stand there like a bellhop for a moment. Like, is that it? <laughs> she made it clear that our interaction was over uh-huh. and that uh, and that it was time for me to go. And then I turned and left and walked back across the street. But I am coasting on that feeling of fixing someone else's rotten day. Like, the moments where I've thought I've lost my wallet are, uh. like, the most dreadful because... I don't know about you, Ben. I have no copies of my credit cards or the contents of my wallet. I haven't done that thing you're supposed to do in case you lose it, which is like have the numbers to call Yeah. in case of. Like I'm raw dogging my wallet out there. And if anything happened to it, I would be totally fucked <laughs> if not for a good Samaritan like myself right. out there to return it. It's the one that says bad motherfucker. You are hoping that somebody else, there's another Adam Pranica out in the world. Keeping I mean, there is. He's in Poland. Peeled for your wallet. Yeah. So that at such time as you lose it, it makes its way back to you safely. Right. Yeah. So it gave me a lot to think about. Man. I uh, was getting my hair cut earlier today, and I had this very, like, punk rock barber. Mm-hmm. He had, like, a real thick, like, Bronx accent and was, like, clearly had gone to, like, tons of punk and hardcore shows in his heyday in, in yeah. New York. I don't know how we got on it, but he told me about a phone. He was telling me about different scams that people pull. And one of them is like, he's like, yeah, I know all these beautiful girls down in Hollywood and they go into a bar and then they say, you know, they they strike up a conversation with a dude and they're going to give him their phone number and they Venmo themselves like a thousand dollars from his phone before they put a fake number in and then leave the bar. Oh. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Very brutal scam but then he told me about one where they'll call you and they'll they'll have you know just some questions you know like sometimes they'll pose as law enforcement or something they'll ask you a bunch of yes or no questions and like get you to say enough stuff that when they then call the bank it's your voice saying the yeses and nos answering the like robot questions oh and so i don't know it's awful yeah so i got home having just had this conversation and a fucking scam call called claiming to be like U.S. Customs and Border Protections, which had intercepted a suspicious package for me at the Mexico border. Now that checks out. Are you expecting any packages from Mexico? And this is a yes or no question. 
And I was like, fuck, this is it. This is exactly what the guy just told me about. Wow. So in, a, in some ways, he, in a more abstract way, found and vouchsafed my wallet. How about that? You're <laughs> surrounded by Adam Pranica types. <laughs> the Adam Pranicas you need are all around you. <laughs> I didn't realize it. Yeah. How about that? Hey, I like a lot of good Samaritans out there. Yeah. Trying to do the right thing. We're not all pizza thieves. Shout out to those people doing the right thing out there. Yeah. Agreed. Well, Adam, do you want to do the right thing by our listeners and get into this very sad episode of Star Trek Voyager? Oof. It is tragic, isn't it? it <laughs> I, I was in a bad mood after watching this. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, let's try to turn that around. Laughing in the face of this tragedy <laughs> as we discuss Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 17, Course, colon, Oblivion. Reaper Course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> we open on some wedding cakes. They're kind of silvery in color, and there's some... Some spray, like like silver blobs, are are dissipating in a three dimensional volume. Uh huh. It's an image that we'll come back to later, Adam. But this yeah. is a wedding reception, and uh, they're doing it the way only Starfleet can. <laughs> Harry Kim's on clarinet playing <laughs> yeah. wedding music. Yeah. Everybody's standing around. It looks like they've pushed all the chairs up against the uh, walls of Neelix's restaurant, which. I guess means they're going to do a wedding ceremony where uh, nobody gets to sit. I guess there's no grandmas at this wedding, so... Nah. They don't have to worry about like people needing to sit. I like a, a small wedding like this. I had a micro wedding. Mm -hmm. Goes along with something else of mine. <laughs> but like a wedding so small that everyone kind of pitches in. Yeah. That's what's going on here. Kim's on clarinet. Neelix is making the cakes. Like the doctor's passing out rice. Everyone's got a little little mini job here. It brings everyone together yeah. in the effort. It feels good. I like that uh, Chakotay has given BLT away. Yeah, that's big, isn't it? It seemed uh, appropriate in some weird way. I was freaking out because I was like, did we miss the proposal? <laughs> like, have I just forgotten it completely? <laughs> I'm so tired and so like delirious lately that I was like, Obviously, we missed a big episode because Tom is back to having a half a pip yeah. in addition to his single pip, yeah. and they're getting married. Like, I'm watching the wrong episode, and, uh, you know, I think that the recent two-parter, the mega episode that we dropped, <laughs> like, yeah. led me to believe that that was more possible than it actually was because I was looking at the episode numbers, and I was like, wait, I definitely skipped ahead one. I'm going to have watched the wrong thing to talk to Adam about tonight. We had uh, drinks and hangs last night with Aaron Waltke, who's a, a friend of the show and a real FOD and uh, the showrunner for Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah. And he said something during our hang that like made me flinch in a way that was like, oh, I wish you didn't say that, which was <laughs> you were mentioning that uh, you'd been really tired from caring for Tyrone. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can totally hear that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you really sounded out of it lately. And I was like... <laughs> Who knows how you sound on the show better than me? I think you've been fine. <laughs> I can't tell the difference. Yeah. 
I think it was specifically that we'd uh, reviewed an episode of Prodigy. Yeah. And that was when I was in the thick of it. That was in like month one of yeah. Daron's life. And uh, uh-huh. I think I'd like not written down notes for the episode because <laughs> I'd written down notes for a different episode. And Yeah, that was rock bottom, wasn't it? Yeah. And when there was only one set of steps in the new Star Trek sand, it was all of the Adam Pranicas around me. Yeah. That were carrying me. Another example of the Pranica Samaritan <laughs> that you have in your life. Yeah. This guy's out here. He's taking care of pizzas that nobody wants, making sure that they don't rot and become a, you know, some kind of opportunity for vermin. He's giving food away to his neighbors and not even going and following up when things get misdelivered to their houses. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. helping people with their wallets. He's helping people yeah. with their podcasts. Yeah. Give this man a medal. You're right, Ben. <laughs> I'm a good person. <laughs> and I haven't realized that until this moment. <laughs> so uh, so this is the big day, the the marriage of Tom and Bolana. Yeah. They do not do a traditional Klingon ceremony, which, uh, you know, we've seen that before. We don't need that again. Yeah, but there is a lot of BLT's cultural erasure happening yeah. almost throughout the episode. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the only reason her Klingonness comes up is so that Harry can, can do like a best man bit mid-ceremony. They're saving the pain sticks for the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of chatter in this wedding gallery, isn't there? Yeah. Like about the pairing. Yeah. Have you ever been to a wedding and you like heard people talk some shit? <laughs> I've been to a couple and it like it's shocking for me to hear it. Like I've actually heard a they'll never last at a wedding I went to. Yeah, yeah. Harry Kim's best man bit verges on like that's not actually okay to say at somebody's wedding. <laughs> You know, I I went to a wedding once where the the maid of honor was kicked out for making a a joke not too different from this. So, yeah, it happens. The toast is fraught, isn't it? Yeah. There'd be dragons there. (laughs) Yeah. Janeway's the officiant, as you might expect, and she's got a slightly different hairstyle again, doesn't she? Yeah. She's uh, doing the happy privilege of uh, captain since the age of (laughs) sail. Yeah. You know, they get through this. It's a pretty informal ceremony. They wrote their own vows, and then, like, Tom wants to start smooching before Janeway's completely sealed the deal. Paris and BLT's vows are are good and heartfelt, but they're whispering them in a way that would aggravate me so much if I were standing just a little <laughs> bit further away from them. Like, this is very discourteous to the people in the back, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that it doesn't show them getting like mic'd up or anything. No. <laughs> Which I have seen at weddings. I've seen people put on lav mics at their own weddings. This is the 24th century, so it's possible that there are transparent aluminum lavalier microphones, right? Oh, yeah, like they just push their comm badge once and everybody in the room is getting a an amplified It's the comm badge. Feed. The comm badge is the lavalier microphone. <laughs> Solved. Yeah. I thought this was a good on-screen kiss, though. Like, I don't think that we've seen them smooch that much, but, like, there are lots of, like, big movie actors that I feel have failed to sell the chemistry of a kiss, and this one looked really passionate and real. Good job by them. I agree. 
I actually read that the uh, rings that they use in this episode recently sold at auction. Oh, no. You'll never <laughs> really? believe who won the auction for these. I mean, you can get yourself caught in a wedding ring, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It said that uh, part of the wedding ring had fallen off but could be glued back on. <laughs> Well, congratulations to uh, Garrett Wong winning another great prop auction. Yeah, yeah. Ran into him at Star Trek Las Vegas, and he invited us out for hangs next time we're in Vegas. We should try to make that happen. That would be so cool. I would love to see the collection. Yeah, yeah. We get the toss of the bouquet to Seven, and then they start throwing the rice, Mm -hmm. the uncooked rice that was established earlier. And uh, we go to slow-mo, and... This rice starts landing on the rug, and it sort of looks like this is about to be like a Dyson commercial or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of the weirdest things about vacuum commercials is how staged the dirt looks. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's always like Fruit Loops or like a perfect little pile of potting soil. Yeah. Or a perfect little pile of Chex Mix. When I'm spilling potting soil in my home, it's a fucking mess. It is. <laughs> it's a dispersion rate of like fifteen feet. Yeah. When what you're really getting with your vacuum mostly is your wife's hair, from what I can tell. Like, <laughs> like what comes out of the the bag when I have to replace the the bag at the end is like it's just like balls of hair, you know? Yeah. Your wife's hair is everywhere. <laughs> I see she's been over to your house too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I fell out of your hair that way and I want it back. I'm not saying she loses an unusual amount of hair. I'm just saying that she has a lot of hair. Oh, God. God, the people in the Reddit are already flaming me for this. One thing that happens when we spill soil in our homes and for your wife's hair also mm. is it doesn't often fall through the floor into the basement. Right. The way this rice is done in falling through the floor into the Jeffrey's tube below. Is this rice made out of alien xenomorph blood? Yeah. Goes right through the floor. Got a wonderful defense mechanism. Seems like dangerous rice. Like, is this rice soon going to go through the people they're throwing (laughs) the rice at? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking they should have cooked it, you know? The show throws right to theme is what happens. Mm. There's a lot of throwing happening in this moment. Yeah. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. When we come back, we're in a captain's log. We're two years from home. They're really close. I was going mad at this point about what I'd missed. (laughs) I thought I was watching the wrong episode. I had to be sure. I had to check the memory (laughs) alpha to be sure I was on the right path here. Very confusing. Yeah. Especially because things are going so good. Janeway's log here is like, oh, this is one of the best days of my life. Like, I get to wed some people. Kids are getting born. We're two years from home. I've taken a good bath ahead of my meeting with Tom Mervins. (laughs) The clothes you love to live in. She's got like misgivings about getting home as quickly as they're going to because there's so many neat stellar phenomena that they could be exploring out there. This was madness <laughs> to me because in the ready room, Chakotay chats her up and he's like, yeah, you know, we're passing by a couple of cool nebulars or whatever. And Janeway's like, I don't think anyone will mind if we 
add a couple of extra months to their trip? There's a coffee in that binary system we'll reach about six months from now. This is like going on a road trip and you're a couple hours from home and you for some reason like want to hit a shopping mall or something. Right. Like yeah. for an afternoon. No way. <laughs> yeah. No. Down in the restaurant, Neelix is... Uh, sort of like playing travel agent to Tom Paris. He's helping him decide on all his options of honeymoon venues mm -hmm. that they have to simulate in the holodeck. <laughs> one of them seems like it's loaded with insects in a way that's a little bit of a deal breaker for Tom. Another one is the Flodder program, <laughs> except Flodder is shooting lube out of his finger. <laughs> yeah, it's like... A much hornier version of Flotter. Yeah. Tom really has his heart set on, uh, like, Roaring Twenties Chicago. Which is the second point of BLT's cultural erasure. Like, no one has thought to ask BLT what sort of honeymoon she might like. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to know. This really feels like an of-the-era kind of TV plot point, though. Like, there were so many shows in the 90s where the dude is is a hundred percent expected to think of all of the the recreations that they'll do. Uh-huh. Yeah. It is really weird that like I I tried to imagine telling my wife what our honeymoon would be. Oof. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> that is not a conversation that would have gone well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 1920s Chicago would not seem sexy to me until the episode of Lower Decks where we saw Shax and Dr. Katz Her name is Dr. Tana. use it as foreplay, right? <laughs> yeah, that did seem pretty horny. What the hell? I was about to blast him. <sighs> so now I understand. Yeah, yeah. But back then when this episode came out, I wouldn't have. Yeah. BLT is uh, getting Seven ready for the task of serving as chief engineer for the week that BLT is going to be away. That was kind of a surprise. I, I would have guessed that uh, Vorik or one of the other people that actually works in engineering would get that job. The strange thing about Vorik is that he also took time off while BLT's on her honeymoon <laughs> to do holodeck observation. Yeah, Vorik is a <laughs> total perv. Vorik's got his own flatter doll that also shoots lube <laughs> out the fingertips, and he's going to be bringing that with him. Hey, Vorik. How's the peeping? <laughs> we do not discuss it. This sounds a lot like a parent giving babysitter instructions, right? Right. Now, you want to put the warp core down no later than 8 p.m. <laughs> right. Make sure the warp core finishes all our dinner also. The discussion of the warp core having its own personality felt like I love that, that idea that it really yeah. has a way of being babied and like BLT is with it often enough that she really has a like a nearly personified relationship with it. Yeah. It's really cool and fun to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. They're uh, in the middle of talking about this when they get like a error message on uh, one of their screens and they, they got to go check out a situation in a Jeffrey's tube. And while they're crawling through there, Seven uh, makes a pretty compelling case for polyamory to a woman who just got married. <laughs> I fail to see the benefit of monogamous relationships. Sounds great. You're right, Ben. I mean, she makes a lot of sense. The catching of the bouquet doesn't seem to have knocked her off stride at all. No. She is riding for not being 
a monogamist, more of monogamish, <laughs> maybe her style in the end. Yeah, monogamish at most. Yeah, yeah. She wants to keep her options open. Once you've been part of the collective, it is a real downgrade to to go down to one person, I bet. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that, the great link, and, like leaving any of these things sounds mm-hmm. like a real boner killer. Yeah. A circumstance which implies extreme monotony. Yeah. So they open a door in this Jeffrey's tube and they, they look down and see that the floor and walls are like gooing around. Everything's losing molecular cohesion here. This is bad. Bad news. You can see it on BLT's face. This is the wavy floor of a canceled honeymoon. <laughs> It really is. We smash cut to a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where she's explaining that there's something that is causing all of the infrastructure of the ship to break down. And they're just seeing like the beginnings of this, but something something coming out of the warp core is stopping this. And Harry is like, are you fucking kidding me? We simulated this before we installed this new warp core. And I was like, what new warp core? <laughs> I love all these details at this moment in time that add up to the Swiss watch that this episode becomes. Like the mystery about taking the core offline, not solving any of their problems, is such a head scratcher. Yeah. And Janeway is like, well, I mean, do it anyway. And I guess while it's off, try to find a solution to the problem. And that's what they do. So. After a long day at the office, BLT goes home and finds that uh, the apartment is just not comfortable for her. She's freezing. Yeah. She's not looking great. She goes into the, I mean, it's not really a bathroom, right? It's just the sonic shower area because there's not a toilet in there. A vanity? (laughs) Could you call it that? Yeah. She looks at the vanity and she's got some some kind of like weird acne on her face. I hate this moment. Just the like, you feel something a little strange on your face and you look in the mirror and you can just tell like there's something brewing underneath. You can't really see it yet, but like you poke around and you can feel it. Like, ugh, Mm -hmm. gnarly. This is going to suck. Yeah. This is going to be my next week. You know what? I bet my wife has like something that you put on and leave on. Yeah, for a situation like this, yeah, you go digging through the the wife's shelves of uh, what would you even call them? Unguents, <laughs> tinctures. Oh yeah, ointments. Yeah, the whole thing, the tubes, the yeah. tubes section. Yeah, of what she's got in the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I've taken occasionally from my wife from her bathroom mm. collection is she's got these stickers that suck zit juice out. Whoa, not pore strips, not like uh, no. blackheads. No, you put one on, you put one on the hole. Uh huh. And then overnight, it's like made out of this weird soft silicone. Whoa. It's like a, a little circle. You put it on your, on your hole. And then you wake up in the morning and it's all white because it sucked all the zit juice out. Whoa. It is great. Wow. And I've been like, I'm trying not to steal too many of them. Right. Like, I want the supply to keep coming, you know? <laughs> oh, no, the, the Reddit's blowing up again. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm bad. I'm a bad person again. Just as bad as the pizza incident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Adam's vanity stops him from being honest with his wife. <laughs> he steals from her. She could do so much better. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We both know that our wives could do much better. <laughs> yeah. I'll shoot you a link for these Zit stickers, man. They really, they're great. You pre- you don't get acting like I do, though. You got a good face. Are you kidding me? I'm Pimps Magoo mm. over here. All right. Well, I'll, I'm going to slide these stickers across the table and uh, get you set up. Before I stopped going to a pediatrician and started going to a, a normal doctor. In your 30s? Like one of the last thing my pediatrician said to me was, uh, you're kind of a cysty guy. So that's going to be a thing that you deal with in your life. Ah, <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> I would have stopped seeing that doctor at that moment if you hadn't already made that decision. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh... <laughs> Long look in the mirror after that. Well, gee, doctor, as the only one in this room who has the know-how to figure that out, why don't you get on that problem? Yeah, well, you smell. (laughs) Well, your stethoscope is fucking cold. (laughs) Yeah. If barbershops can figure out putting towels in a a warming device, why can't you do Mm -hmm. that with the stethoscope? I like that idea. Yeah. It has like a little like, Minty freshness to it. That'd be nice. BLT cystic acne is so big that there's no sticker sufficient enough to cover it, I think. And when Paris (laughs) walks in, it's dark and it's hot in there. And he hears her crying on the floor of the bathroom. Yeah. It's a very affecting scene. They just got married. Yeah. You don't want to... Upset wife, upset wife, upset life. (laughs) That's what I heard. Yeah, there's a God shot of the washroom in this that really does confirm that there is no toilet in there. Yeah. Paris comes in and finds her like huddling on the floor, freezing cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, they get her right to Six Bay where the EMH is like kind of stumped initially. Yeah. I mean, uh, the beds are filling up. Yeah, there's a bunch of people with with this type of acne. Yeah. The guy in the, like, foreground of the shot when they first stumble into Six Bay, just, like, the first glimpse of him, I was like, is that Tuvix? And I was was like, oh, no, it's a different guy. But the combination of the the forehead acne and the the gold shirt made it sort of look a little Tuvix-y. You know Tuvix, were he to be there would be afflicted with like the scalp acne yeah. on the back of his head, which would just make that thing look even more horrifying. I didn't think that that was possible, but you're yeah. right. If Tuvix had had like a little bit more cystic shit going on on the back of his head. Yeah, really gross. <laughs> this is an epidemic and even Janeway has been diagnosed. Yeah. The people working in engineering are the ones with the most exposure. So this whole theory of something having to do with the warp core, the the new warp engine technology, that still holds at this point. Yeah. But Janeway's kind of incredulous. She's like, I shut down the engines. Why are people still getting sick? That should have forestalled whatever this is. Right. And so the mystery begins here and... We head down to the restaurant where Tuvok, Chakotay, and Neelix are looking at a sample of items that Neelix has put out that are not decaying. And yeah. it's like a crate full of kale and like a bathy sphere and a bunch of rocks and other equipment. And he's like, this stuff was all brought on board the ship pretty recently and it's not decaying. So 
it's not like the atmosphere of the ship. There's something else afoot here. I thought that this was a great like little cul-de-sac in the mystery because I was like, oh, what is it? What's going on? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. Neelix is so self-serving here with his whole like, well, the replicator food is bad, so I guess everyone needs to start eating the fresh food that I make. <laughs> Nothing wrong with these Leola roots, for example. Yeah, pretty ugly scene by Neelix in this moment. Yeah, it's too bad. In the ass lab, Tuvok and Chakotay do the work of going through all of their old missions up to this point. They're like, well, did we run into an alien that had some sort of cystic acne disease that's been transmitted to us? Yeah. And they're just kind of checking off this list. I really like this scene. The the idea yeah. of these are other adventures that you didn't even get to see. Like these didn't even make it into episodes, but we experienced them. This is a version of that thing that happens in new Star Trek too, which is like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the television going like, I, I recognize that reference to a previous mission, <laughs> except the meme for this moment is Leonardo DiCaprio sitting in his recliner, not pointing at the chair. He's just watching TV because no one's ever heard of these missions before. And then the camera pans over and there's Leonardo da Vinci sitting in another chair getting serviced by a clockwork jack-off machine. <laughs> Maravilloso. <laughs> like, hand back over to Leonardo DiCaprio as he turns up the volume <laughs> so he can hear better over the, over the clacking and pounding of the jack-off machine. <laughs> In Six Bay, Tom is trying to, you know, do the bedside vigil for BLT. He's brought the isolinear chip that has their Chicago vacation on it. And, you know, it's, it's a very sweet little moment of, uh, of relationship intimacy where he's describing what they would have been doing if she hadn't become sick. You look down at BLT and she's clearly touched her zits. Like she's fiddled around with them yeah. and made them all red. Now and- they're spreading out. Yeah, she's in a tough spot. She's looking like warp 10 bad at this point. Like her tongue could fall out. 1928, Chicago Hotel. Paris makes the case for how awesome this is on their planned honeymoon. And they're doing that thing where, uh, you know, these are the lies you tell yourself when the situation is dire. This is as if they were, you know, stuck in spacesuits without air. Right. This reminded me of that kind of moment. Like- you're lying to yourself if you think you're going to pull out of this nosedive. Right. And this is the tone of the thing. The end of this scene is it's turning into a clip show device level emergency because she is, you know, she's listening to describe all this shit about Chicago and she's being nice about it, but it's obviously a vacation that's for him, not her. Yeah. And she kind of slips into some kind of distress and they're, you know, trying to, to shock life back into her and it's just not working. And she fucking dies, Adam. We've lost her. RSVP BLT. Yeah, and Paris, like, he's in the denial phase for a moment, but jumps Mm -hmm. right into the anger phase. Return to your quarters. No! The duck is like, hey, you need to take that anger somewhere else because I need to dig into this body for the autopsy, like, now. (laughs) Not the best bedside manner in this exact moment. Yeah. Tom, why are you still here when I'm trying to cut a Y in your wife? 
<laughs> Why? No, that's the shape of the incision I'm going to cut in your wife's dead chest. <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> surgical vaudeville scene ever devised. <laughs> this is tough because Roxanne Dawson is clearly breathing under the medical blanket. And I wanted to ask you, is there a thing... There's got to be a thing in Hollywood that is sort of like a blanket with a imperceptible exoskeleton underneath it that would allow you to breathe underneath. Oh, like a rigid blanket? I mean, you have a lot of blankets that have gotten hard in your house, <laughs> but I'm talking about something else. I mean, the Star Trek solution is when the biobed gets the little tunnel that comes up over. Exactly. Which is usually just something for jacking off under. Right. They should have extended the tunnel. Yeah. Give Roxanne Dawson a break here. I think Rick Berman had other ideas. Yeah, yeah, he did. A lot of them. So, so down in the ass lab, Chakotay and Tuvok are still working on going back over old adventures, and they hit upon this time that they had to set down on a demon planet, and they like they really go pretty far into just re-describing the, the yeah. plot of that episode. <laughs> to each other. <laughs> One of our more interesting missions. Especially in comparison to every other theory they've had in the ass lab. Like, yeah. Everything else is like a couple of words and checking it off. And this one, they really dig into the story. <laughs> yeah, it's like if I was like, Adam, you remember earlier today when you and I were texting about whether we were going to open mailbags on this episode or save that for a different episode? And then you texted me, I think it's too stressful to try and do that this week, so let's save it for next week. And then I said, yeah, that seems cool. And then you texted me back some stuff about, like, yeah, it's just way too stressful. And I was like, yeah, no, I get it. We already decided. <laughs> just a little too much? Like, a little too uh, <laughs> protest too much? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like that. Anyways, this is an interesting result. And they head down to Six Bay where the doctor is like getting ready to plunge his scalpel into BLT's chest. And they're like, you got to scan her for demon planet materials. And he's like, why the fuck would I do that? And they're like, no, seriously. We have a disturbing theory. You got to do it for this big reveal. Yeah. And the doctor's like, what are you talking about? And then he does it. And then the big reveal happens. They're all duplicates. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that latinum. Or not if you just drunk gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. These are the silvers. The silver blood. It sampled our DNA and created duplicates of the entire crew. I've often wondered what happened to them. Did they still resemble us? It was a duplicate. Duplicate. She was a duplicate. A biomimetic copy. 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 We are all duplicates. I a real boy? What's going on here? Are you me? At this moment in time, the only thing I could think about is how they got this ship. <laughs> and it took me an unfortunate amount of time to figure out how that was possible. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about the goo and I'm thinking about how the goo turned itself into people. And I'm looking at the ship and I'm seeing how the ship is gooey too. I'm not putting it together for a long ass time. I'm like, so did they build the ship and they did a bad job? No, you idiot, the ship is goo. The entire ship is composed of the same material. It's a biomimetic compound. The goo can choose whether or not it's going to be a person or a ship. And it took me so long to figure that out. 
<laughs> because I thought everything on the demon planet, like that was goo, no. was alive or wanted to be alive. I couldn't understand that the goo would ever want to be a ship. The, the problem you have, Adam, is that too much of your brain cells are devoted to doing good deeds and not enough right. of them are for figuring out Star Trek plot points. You know what? That's the problem. And I need to rededicate myself to this project of ours. Yeah. It's like when we were interviewing to hire you on at Uxbridge Shimoda, mm -hmm. when we asked you, like, what would you say one of your biggest weaknesses is you said it's that you do too many good deeds and it can right. distract you from understanding things that are happening in star trek episodes and you saw past that which is great you and rob schulte when you hired me very forgiving yeah no i mean like i don't believe in a flawless candidate adam it's like finding the candidate whose flaws you can work with indeed <laughs> that is so great that should be an inspirational workplace poster. <laughs> and the image should just be... <laughs> On podshop.biz, it's a picture of you. Yeah. <laughs> with the yeah. word imperfect underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> and then some clarifying text. <laughs> I'm ready to sell that poster. Uh. That could really help out the home office of a bunch of friends at DeSoto, I think. I, I really agree. I think that'll be a popular item. <laughs> So they were they were the silvers, and now they're going to disintegrate back into silvers because the warp core wouldn't be harmful to people and real ships, but it is harmful to silver people and silver ships. Yeah. I was just thinking about like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and how maybe it's just silver to silver, mm -hmm. silver to silver. <laughs> These guys skipped that part in the eulogy. Yeah. It's just too redundant. <laughs> this is wild. Like, the copies are so good that all of these copies contain all of the memories of right. the real versions of themselves. And again, it, at this moment, I'm like, why is no one asking how they got this ship? I'm in this scene like, <laughs> like, that is the most interesting question to me. Why isn't anyone asking it? The entire ship is composed of the same material. It's a biomimetic compound. They... I guess, forgot that they were the Silvers and thought that they were the real people. So they yeah. just took off and set a course for Earth and eventually like invented a way better warp core and installed it and like have had their own different adventures in different parts of space. Didn't you like how that puzzle piece clicked in though? The idea that they created something that wasn't harmful to humanoids, but was harmful to Silvers because they thought they were humanoids yeah. the whole time. Big accident, big whoops. And uh, now there's this kind of ticking clock. And so the pitch from like Chakotay and the doctor is like, well, we got to turn back and go back to the demon class planet. That's that's where we came from. That's the only place we're going to be environmentally yeah. safe. And Janeway's like, fuck that. Like we we are pot committed here. Like Silver Janeway does not believe in the sunk cost fallacy. Silver Janeway is committed to getting the crew home. This is such a great existential question that points to like who you are. Yeah. Like even if you're a copy, if your copy is so good that you are indistinguishable from the original, then aren't you on this mission? Yeah. Is that not your goal? And this, this is the part that Janeway rides for that is in conflict with some other people in the crew. It's a great mind bender. Yeah. And like, I mean, she has a good point. Like if, if they turn around and go back to the class Y planet, 
and then Starfleet makes it out into the Delta Quadrant, they're all going to get fucking court-martialed for not following yeah. orders. And I'm such an idiot. I'm like, well, they take the ship back to the demon planet. What do they do with the ship? <laughs> they're just going to have a ship down there? <laughs> the entire ship is composed of the same material. Do they, like, break it apart like a giant cargo ship? No, they just put it up on blocks, you know, like, uh, yeah. and live in the driveway, you know? <laughs> The ship is goo. <laughs> the ship. It took me too long to know that. The ship is goo. It's all goo. Yeah. Soup's all goo. So they find like a nearby class Y planet, though, that mm-hmm. they're going to set course for. And in the meantime, Janeway has to kind of break it to the crew what's going on. And uh, <laughs> this looks like it happens in Neelix's restaurant, but they've like wheeled a lot of gurneys in with the people that are too fucked up to stand and yeah. hear this speech. The Doughboys are always saying that Panera is the perfect restaurant to break bad news in. And I feel <laughs> like that's Neelix's restaurant here. Uh-huh. Like, if you're going to do it, do it at Neelix's. <laughs> There's still a great deal we don't know about this phenomenon. Yeah, They all have this silver acne at this point in various yeah. amounts. And the, the Gurney people have it worse than than the rest. But uh, yeah. Janeway is saying, like, the mission stands. We're going to keep doing this. Tom Paris is really being pretty lippy about this. He's he's real broken up over the death of his new bride. So, you know, it, the, the lippiness is being tolerated. She's not grabbing that half a pip off of his collar in this moment. Paris is like the expression of the conflict of who you are existentially. He's like, well, if I'm just a copy... I have no self-worth the way that I thought I did before that knowledge. So, like, why even do anything anymore? Like, real me is out there doing the real me shit. I got to find something else to do or nothing to do. Right. And Kim has a good point. As they talk, he's like, well, until you come up with whatever that is, why don't we just continue on as as the people we thought we were? Yeah. There is no better plan. No. Tell you one thing, I'm going to stop playing that fucking clarinet. (laughs) Take up a cool instrument like saxophone. Yeah. (laughs) This is the new me. And like, (laughs) starts playing. Uh huh. Kim goes over to the replicator. He can actually go over to the replicator because one of the things Janeway says is we've got to like kind of institute yeah. some austerity measures so that we can. F- this is like the Greek economy in 2009, guys. We got to. Everything is getting cut. This is bad. Yeah. You know, we're, we're all tightening our belts. Like, don't move around and do stuff unless it's actively helping us. Austerity measures only punish the poor instead of asking the wealthy. Right. To pay their fair share. It's a I'm, bunch of fucking bullshit. Seriously, because like smash cut to Janeway in her quarters and she's replicated herself a beautiful pot of tulips. Yeah. Pretty ugly scene of the wealth disparity on the ship. Yeah. Must be nice, Janeway, not having to worry about how you're going to decorate your apartment. Yeah. Everyone's got to be cutting back, but those weekly dinners that she has with Chakotay, those continue. Yeah. I'm not about to quit now. Jacote's not hungry in this scene, not hungry enough to eat the flowers or whatever, and especially not after three more crew people have died. Yeah. The kind of, for all we knows of this scene, I thought were really interesting. They they talk a lot about like how little they can know about whether the real Voyager is still out there or if it got destroyed or it's already home. And 
maybe on that Voyager, Janeway was more responsive to Chakotay's romantic overtures and they're like more of an item. And on this one, it's still just like bathtub after bathtub being gifted, but nothing coming back the other way. Yeah. (laughs) Chakotay's like, maybe real Chakotay would have put up with this shit, (laughs) but I'm tired of being jerked around. (laughs) Maybe I should have noticed we were all made out of the silver blood when... Every time I snapped a pencil, it turned into mercury. (laughs) Here's a mind bender. Could the goo people have made any type of ship to escape in? Like if they had a little bit more self-knowledge? Because in the arc of this story, there's this moment where everyone becomes their copy in such a way that they forget they were ever goo. Yeah. If they had decided to make a ship faster than Voyager or different from Voyager or the bounty from Star Trek three, right? Like, could they have made any type of ship with any type of drive? Could they have made a Borg ship with a slipstream drive or whatever? These are great questions. I mean, it seems like maybe it's like an emergent property. Like, remember in that episode, like I think it was BLT, like touched the the Mercury and it just like made a thumb. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe the ship just kind of like showed up, you know? Damn. Yeah. Like the moment of self awareness and ship construction is like, you don't get that detail here, but what a fascinating genesis for this thing. Genesis? Yeah. Demon planet is planet forbidden. I thought a lot about have there been any episodes in between the Demon Planet episode in this one where we were watching an episode about this crew and not the real crew. I love that theory. (laughs) I love that that is there and has always been there, just maybe undiscovered. Yeah. That's some writer's room secret that like, actually, that episode was the other crew. And there's just, (laughs) it's indistinguishable. You just don't know. Yeah, you're never going to know. Maybe there's one scene of Paris's Pip Right. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually just a piece of corn in that one. Right. Mmm, cone. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So Chakotay's arguing for turning around. Janeway wants to act as if she is real Janeway, and her every instinct is to press on. And in the mess hall, the field hospital has really taken form. It is almost completely full. And the doc has an interesting theory at this point that absent any other better idea, maybe we should try to find the real Voyager because two Janeways could perhaps solve this problem. Or at least that ship, not having been made out of goo, could have the computing power to help us out here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Two Janeways are better than one is one of the adages that the Borgs live by. And uh, it's not a bad point. It's one of the unspoken things that Chakotay thinks from time to time. <laughs> also, that's the name of Chakotay's holodeck program. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just labeled Bud Light. And and you're like, Chakotay, why is that called Bud Light? And he's like, because I'm into twins. Chakotay. Thank you for making this giant stone bathtub that fits all 14 Catherine Janeways. (laughs) Now get to soaping down these boobs. (laughs) Terrible feng shui in the infirmary of the uh, mess hall. Mm -hmm. Because they put the heads of the beds 
into the room. They're not against the window. I mean, I like the idea of looking out the window, but I don't want my head just exposed when people are walking by. Yeah, you need some headboards on the cots, don't you? At the minimum, you need headboards on the cots. Yeah. Anyways, they get to a, an alternate <laughs> demon planet and they pull in to the space over it. And before they can even set down, you know, try this out, see if they can get safe harbor here. These fucking ordinary mining treaty people come off yeah. the planet service and start licking shots at them. And it's like, God, can the fucking ordinary mining treaty people leave us the fuck alone? <laughs> like every time we try and do anything, they are up our asses. Fuck the ordinary. They come in weapons hot. Like this ship is shooting at the Voyager and Janeway can't reason with them. Yeah. Like, her words aren't going to stop their shooting. No. And Voyager shoots back, but that doesn't do anything. And Tuvok's like, look, we could destroy him. Do the torpedoes just turn into, like, goo the second they hit the hull of the Ordmerate ship? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Is the goo ship made up of many, many people, in quotes, like goo people, in the way that the Great Link is made up of people? Yeah. I wanted to know this, too. Maybe, maybe not. Anyways, yeah. they have to turn tail and run. And Chakotay is like, all right, Catherine, like this is, we've gone too far here. Like we've got to get back to the demon class planet. There's no other way. I mean, Paris is super lippy about this too. Yeah. He's going to be a problem. I mean, Chakotay and Paris are in agreement and they talk about that. Like the, uh, mm -hmm. like... <laughs> The lippiness is coming from all directions at this point, and Janeway yeah. is really getting melty. She's like, "Come on, Chakotay! Like we're we all feel like shit. Look at us." Yeah, I don't need it coming from you and Paris. This is what happens when you think like aspirating a cystic acne is going to help you out here. Mm. Like it, it actually can result in some droopy face. <laughs> Like their faces are so droopy that Kate Mulgrew's performance is starting to slow down. Did you notice this? Like her dialogue slows a bit. Yeah. I promised the crew I'd get them home. That's fun. Chakotay dies during this scene. Yeah. We've lost Commander Chakotay. Yeah. It's rough. RSVP Chakotay. And on the bridge, Janeway eulogizes him. And in that eulogy, makes the case for going back to the original demon planet. Did you hear any pan flute in the background of Chakotay's death? I thought I heard just a very little bit of it in the ready room, but none of it by the time Janeway's on the bridge again. Yeah. What happened to that being his theme? <laughs> I wonder if they had rethought it by this point yeah. in the series. <laughs> Maybe that's weird. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get any more references to that going forward. I don't know. It's too bad. Like, even though his background was born from something wrong and bad, removing it means he gets nothing. And I think that kind of sucks too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really get the sense that they've like totally removed it though at this point. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder if they're just kind of like pulling off of some of the like grosser aspects of it mm -hmm. and then like, just not sure what to replace that with. Yeah. But anyways, Vamanos for the demon planet, Janeway whispers and throws her busted leather flint claw over the loose weave of the saddlecock. 
and they ride off in the friscolating dusk light. Wildcat. What the hell kind of way to act is that? Open the door. He's on drugs. <laughs> the next time we see the ship, it's like flying through space and it's like, it looks like melty jello. Doesn't it seem like they shouldn't be able to warp in this condition? <laughs> it really doesn't. Is the warp drive like new materials that they picked up and made into a new warp drive? <laughs> this is an audio medium, so no one can see me just raise my hands by yeah. my head. I have no idea. They have a, another McLaughlin group. Issue two. Just going over all of the things that are busted. You know, the lights are super low. Everybody's got tons of loaf on their face. The EMH has gone offline. We've lost the doctor. RSVP EMH. Yeah. Yeah. No one eulogizes him. Can you reprogram him or something? So many people have gone offline at this point that the eulogies are like, you know, we don't have time. Yeah. The scene is so hard to watch. It's just so nasty looking. I thought it was unintentionally funny. <laughs> like, the, maybe the part that was the most funny to me was Neelix looking like he was asleep at this meeting. <laughs> like, we've all been to those. Yeah. A meeting that was, like, so fucking boring and <laughs> and pointless that, like, you wish you could just lay back and yeah. take a nap in your office chair. A lot of people have said that that's kind of how they felt listening to this episode of The Greatest Generation. Oh, yeah. Not the compliment you think it is <laughs> telling us that uh, you fall asleep to our show. <laughs> everyone looks like they're slathered in aloe vera. There's like that glossy sheen to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Like this is not a sunburn, guys. That's not going to help. Right, right. So the idea in, comes up in this meeting to make a memorial bois to like put mm -hmm. all of their logs and the database from the ship into a bois and leave it so that if they don't make it back to the demon class planet, at least they can be remembered. So that history doesn't forget the name Wet Voyager. <laughs> Time capsule. So we're in, the, we're in the end game now. They're like, you know, the ship is going to be bested by interstellar dust unless they do, you know, rewriting of power to deflector stuff. And Janeway eventually passes, and it seems like it's just like basically Seven of Nine and Harry keeping the ship running at this point. Like we see a couple of extras walking around, but they ain't doing anything. This feels like a version of the ship that Riker was the captain of in the universe where the Borg take over. Right. Like I imagine there's a universe where it's just Riker and Worf as the only people on the D, just sort of keeping the shit together. Yeah. And that's what I thought of when I saw that it was basically Seven and Kim doing the same thing here. Yeah. Kim's beard has gotten really big and shaggy. I got to say, Kim as captain and not Seven, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> Why don't you put her in charge? You better just start dealing with it, Hudson. Because Seven seems to be doing all the work. Yeah. And unfortunately, she's unable to fix all of the Miriam problems that they have on the ship. Yeah. There's just too many holes in the levee to, mm -hmm. to stop mm -hmm. up at this point. But they pick up a ship on long-range sensors, and they try and resolve it. And it's pretty – it's one of those, like, the blurry view screen image of the ship is like, we know what this ship is. <laughs> but for some reason, they don't. It's Scrambled Porn Voyager, and yeah. <laughs> Stiff Voyager is what they're after. 
yeah. for help. Man, I love the the flyby shot of Stiff Voyager when we cut over to that reality mm-hmm. because uh, it just looks like it looks so rock hard. It is fucking terrassing. Yeah, a big relief to cut to the bridge of this ship and not have everybody's face covered in goo. Yeah, the gooey Voyager in one last desperate act dumps its core in order to stop in space so that it can get the stiff voyager's attention yeah and stiff voyager does notice and changes course and tries to get close and and figure it out like they picked up the distress call they think they're going to be in a position to help they get ready to help yeah even there's like this ticking clock though they're like oh like we're melting and they're five minutes and 30 seconds outside of communications range and then we cut back over to stiff voyager and they're approaching where they got like some unknown distress signal from and it's so garbled because it wasn't going out clean and yeah the memorial boy gets destroyed in the in the launcher because everything's so fucked up that is in an episode full of crew deaths that might be the saddest loss of all, right? Yeah, because like when the real Voyager arrives on the scene, it's just a similar image to the way the episode opened, dissipating silver blobs in space. And no record of the lives that those people have lived. Where's the ship? No sign of it. That debris, that couldn't be all that's left. So fucking sad. God, it's <laughs> crushed me. This is a great Kate Mulgrew moment at the end because we're in on her for some time and she does the thing a captain needs to do in this moment. Like, well, we came upon a ship that's destroyed. We need to file it, etc. But there's something else going on on her face. And it seems like, like a twin feeling another twin's pain. It feels like subliminally she might know something heavy happened out there yeah she can't quite figure it out but we don't get any more of this before the credits roll do you think that was the show's intention to make it seem as though she did know on some level oh uh i didn't get the feeling that it was that here's a version of that question do you think it's sadder if she does or sadder if she doesn't i think it's sadder if she doesn't and that was sort of agreed i feel like the only reason there's a little ambiguity to it is to maybe blunt the sadness a tiny bit and yeah man it is <laughs> it's crushing yeah <laughs> did you like this episode adam you know i'm really easy to get along with most of the time but i don't like bullying i don't like friends and i don't like you i really love the twilight zone aspect of thinking about what would happen if you don't just have a twin but like an exact duplicate of you. Yeah. And what that means for both you and that exact duplicate, there's something so complex there about, you know, who may be real or who is who is valid. Yeah. Or whatever. And I thought about that almost as much as I thought about whether or not this ship was goo or not. <laughs> <laughs> I like any episode where you feel something. Yeah. And the sadness of the conclusion of this episode was maybe the most I've felt in a Star Trek episode in a long time. Like, I enjoyed the sadness of this. And that just might be me being an emo kid. But, like, 
<laughs> but I relished in the sadness of it in a way that I appreciated. And uh, yeah, like one of my favorite episodes this season, but on the flip side, I did not like these makeup effects. I thought they were like TNG where Pulaski ages. Like I thought they were almost <laughs> burlap sack quality. Yeah. In a way that was unfortunate. They really had a lantriness about them. They did. Yeah, they were lantrying around in a way that I was like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Don't like that. But but the story's so strong that I think you can get past it if you're me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a really brilliant and well-executed episode, but uh, yeah, did not like looking at it for... <laughs> yeah, I didn't like looking at it during yeah. in some parts. Yeah, and it made me sad. I mean, like I was really like affected by the tragic bleakness of the story in a way that really surprised me. Like it's it's such an interesting journey for an episode to take you on from like fascinating mystery where you think you're catching the show in its own mistakes and then you're like, "Oh, these aren't mistakes. This is part of these are clues in the mystery that I didn't realize was a mystery before." And then just into like the pits of despair. <laughs> it's such a strange comment about the human condition too, in that like every death is tragic, but as human beings, we can't possibly think about the totality on that scale. You know, like you'd just be overwhelmed if you constantly thought about how many people are dying yeah. on this planet all the time. And so the idea of Janeway not knowing and thus not suffering, like that's almost the core of the human condition, right? She's okay. She doesn't know. Only the people who stop to think about that would suffer in those moments. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot to think about. Or not. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, Ben, no priority one messages today. That's because it's the Max Fun Drive. If you're listening to this when it isn't the Pledge Drive, it's always a good time to support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join. Yeah. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm going to give it to Neelix. Like, Neelix stays quippy all through this episode. Like, it, at yeah. one point after the EMH goes the way of everybody else, uh, Neelix has made the chief medical officer and is even doing bits after that, like, trying to do morale officer shit as as things get like more and more dire all around him yeah you know a very silly character doing yeoman's work trying to keep everyone's spirits up in this episode and pretty clever like he found all those yeah. things that didn't degrade like good job neelix yeah he's really trying <laughs> <laughs> i bet they thought a lot this episode about whose death to show on screen and who's not you know, because like a lot of main bridge crew people die that we don't see. Like we don't see Tuvok dying. Yeah. We don't see Paris dying, right? We do not. And we don't see Naomi Wildman die, which is a bridge too far this episode, right? Like right. we don't see a child die, which <laughs> I think would have been 
especially hard. Right. Instead, we see my drunk Shimoda, who is also going to be Neelix, Ben, but for a totally different reason. Yeah! The idea that that the structure, the order of things on the ship has degraded such that he could uh, get a little shut-eye during a McLaughlin group. <laughs> I love it. I love that he's kicked back in a meeting of just four people or yeah. whatever. <laughs> That is real chaos energy mm-hmm. at a at a desperate time. So he's going to be my drunk Shimoda for that. Yeah, I liked that uh, during that meeting, he also was clearly eating a hot dog out of the sleeve of his shirt. You can't <laughs> skip lunch. <laughs> you just can't, guys. Never miss a chance to say that. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's time for a new episode, right, Ben? It is. Uh, the next episode of Star Trek Voyager is season five, episode 18, The Fight, Voyager becomes trapped in an area of, quote, chaotic space, unquote, where the laws of physics are in constant flux. Constant. (laughs) I mean, it seems kind of related to the episode we just watched. Yeah, in some ways it does. The laws of physics are fluidic. (laughs) If you will. Ben, I'm going to go over to gach.biz slash game. Really? and figure out where we are in the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. I like this idea. Our runabout looks like it's on square 47, an important number in Star Trek. Mm. Two squares ahead. Got a space butthole, which would uh, slide us right down into a Coco Nono episode. That's fun. Mm. Nothing beyond that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to give it a roll. Roll that bone. Oh, Ben, I've rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It hops us right over that space butthole. We're on square 50. It's a regular old episode for us. Okay. Well, those are fine, too. (laughs) Especially during a max fun drive. They're just fine. Wow. Yeah. Faint praise there. (laughs) Boy, we got a lot of people to thank. Everybody that is uh, supporting us as this episode comes out during the Max Fun Drive. You are hugely appreciated, as are our producer, Wendy Pretty, Bill Tilly, our social media director, Adam Ragusia, who makes the music for this show, Ditmore, who made our show art and has made a bunch of this stuff for podshop.biz. All of these people getting paid, including a whole bunch of other people that we pay for running the pod shop, helping us, you know, keep our books as a business and operate, you know, within compliance of all the different laws and everything. The people that help us, you know, book our tours and all the people that work those shows. uh, All of this is made possible by the Friends of DeSoto. You and me, I think we're on that list. We are. (laughs) We are also employees of the Oxford Shimoda Corporation. Yeah. You, in spite of your sort of mixed interview, you know. Yeah. A lot of people felt like that wasn't the strongest candidate we had. But. Not a great interview. Not a good track record of yearly reviews on my part. <laughs> I seem to be getting worse at this. Yeah. But uh, but it's okay, man. Yeah. You're out there giving pizzas back to people and trying to do good work. Yeah. If not on the show, just out in the world. Yeah. Uh, we feel like that itself is enough to pay you for. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. And <laughs> thank you to all the friends of DeSoto 
who see fit to support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join. We will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, is in the corner in the uh, in the blue trunks with the gold stripe. That's me in the corner. <laughs> That's me in the blue trunks. Being an important part of a Star Trek Voyager episode. <laughs> yeah. That's you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Bye. Make it show. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.